Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, and it's going to be verses really 7 and 8, but we will read this morning Ephesians 4, 7 through 12 for our context. Ephesians 4, 7 through 12. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high... He led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, again, we are grateful, grateful for your word. We're grateful to have sung your praise. And we pray that this morning, God, you will give us mercy that we might hear and understand and be faithful to your word. Lord, build your church for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. As we pick up our place in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, I want us to recall a few things. In chapters 1 through 3 of the book of Ephesians, God has inspired Paul to remind us of the glories of the gospel and our salvation. Then, in chapter 4, he began to urge us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we're called. God wants you and me to be amazed at thrilled by the gospel, even as the gospel changes us and encourages us to live in a way that honors the Lord. In chapter 4, we saw in verses 1 through 6, part of walking worthy of the calling is walking in Christian unity. We are to develop a character, character traits that help us to unify the church, and we are to understand that the nature of the church is unity. There is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. Now, why would there be a need, this is the question we're going to start with here, for Paul on the one hand to tell us, hey, the church is a unity, and at the same time, call us to live differently to promote unity. And the answer is likely found in the diversity of humanity. There is one God. There is one and only one salvation, which is by God's grace through faith in Christ. There is one and only one church. Yet, the church is made up of radically different people. Wouldn't you agree with that? Look around. Some of y'all are radically different. We have different personalities, yes? We have different likes and dislikes, yes? We have different pasts. And important for today's passage, we have different gifts and abilities. The Lord God has chosen to save a people For his glory. And the people God saves are his church. 
And God gives all the people in his churches, the one church, in local churches, he gives every person in the church a spiritual gift. And we know that God gives us these gifts to help us grow and bring unity to the church. So I want to take some time this morning to look at the fact that God has gifted us toward unity. So I, I can't give you sermon points because this is a one-point sermon. The point is this. Jesus gives a spiritual gift to every believer. Now, full confession. This was supposed to be point one of a sermon, but it's way too big for that. So it's a whole sermon. Look at verses 7 and 8 of Ephesians 4. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, we said over the past two weeks, we have seen a tremendous emphasis on unity. We are commanded to develop five attributes of unifying character, verses one through three. The church itself has seven glorifying uh, glorious unifying characteristics in verses four through six. And the fact that verse seven begins with the word but tells us that a contrast is on its way. We are one. We strive to be one. But all of us, every last one of us is unique. We have unique personalities. We have unique needs. And God has given us unique gifts. Paul tells us grace and that grace there is, is a grace that's also a gifting kind of grace, that grace has been given to each one of us. Now, of course it's true. Have you had grace given to you, Christian? Of course you have. If you're saved, you've received kindness from God. God forgave your sin. God welcomed you into his family. But there's another grace that every last believer experiences, and that's what's in view here. And the way we experience this other grace is going to be different for each believer according verse 7 says, to the gifting of Jesus. Because each of us receives a different, a unique gift from God. Now, there may not be any single biblical issue that causes more conversation, controversy, and confusion than the issue of spiritual gifts. And this morning, I want to share with you my understanding of this issue. I believe my understanding here is biblical and helpful. If it offends you that I think that I'm right, just remember, if I thought I was wrong, I would change. Isn't that true? That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to believe I'm correct until something changes that. I believe this is correct and helpful. But I will say this, there are good, sweet believers who would deal with some of this differently than the way that I do. So, though I will share with you my conclusions, and I'm not going to spend all morning making arguments about them, I want to call us to be kind to one another if there's disagreement, gracious to one another, and let's be faithful to Scripture. Fair enough? Now, when you think about the issue of spiritual gifts, what do you think of? Is it, first of all, is it something you've not heard of? How many of you, if I say spiritual gifts, you think this, is, this sounds like a new thing? 
No? Okay, good. How many of you, when I think of spiritual gifts, you think of little tests, little spiritual gift inventory quizzes? Who's taking one? All right, all right, good. I bet Jaeger got martyrdom as a gift, just my guess. But <laughs> not yet. Keep trying, man. Uh, maybe you think of, when you think of spiritual gift, the, the charismatic claims of supernatural expressions. Maybe you've wondered what your gift is. Maybe you have doubted whether or not you have a gift at all. Let's start here, Christians. If you are a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. You could write that down if you want to. Jesus, by his grace, has uniquely granted you a giftedness. Well, what does it mean that Jesus has given us a spiritual gift? John Piper would say this means God has granted each of us unique abilities given by the Spirit which express our faith and aim to strengthen the faith of others. John MacArthur says that spiritual gifts, a spiritual gift is a graciously given, supernaturally designed ability granted to every believer by which the Holy Spirit ministers to the body of Christ. I would say simply, if you're a Christian, there is something God has done within your soul that makes you a unique tool in his hand to help others in the church. Every Christian has a spiritual gift. The gifts that we have are unique. Verse 7 said, we're gifted according to the measure of Christ's gift. There's a different measuring, a different type, a different shape of giftedness on all of us. If you study MacArthur on this, he's pretty good on it. He would tell us, hey, your gifts come to you from Jesus' grace. So you don't chase after the, and seek after new gifts. You get, Christ gives them to you as a grace. They come from Christ, so they are important. Don't ignore them. Don't neglect them. And the fact that gifts are grace gifts given to you by God, that reminds you that you should never be jealous of the giftedness that another believer has, and you should never be disappointed in the gifts that God has given you. So that raises the question, what are these gifts. There are five key passages in the New Testament that give us various lists of gifts. I'll read them to you. You can write them down if you want to. Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. Really, 6 through 8 is the passage. I'm going to give you a little context here. 12, 3 through 8 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Hear the parallel language going on here? For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. There's one passage on spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10 is another. Paul says, For to one is given through the Spirit, 
the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Then, if you look down in the same chapter, another section, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 to 30, says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Now, Ephesians 4, where we are, if you skip down to verse 11, you'll see another list. And this is spiritual gift-based. This is in context of where we are. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. One more I'll give you is 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 11. 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. Peter says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Same theme again. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So a question might be raised there as you hear those passages. How many gifts did we just hear? And it really depends who you read how many gifts there are in the New Testament, because different people will clump different gifts together. They'll group them differently. You'll find lists of 18 gifts. You'll find lists of gifts in the 20s. And I'm really not the least bit concerned that we try to unpack that this morning. You can work that out on your own. Now, when you heard those verses, you probably heard, uh, again, a variety of kinds of gifts that you would say, man, I don't see any of those things happening in my life. Did you hear a few things that you don't see happening? Yeah, right? You heard miraculous gifts that were performed by the apostles. A lot of what we read in 1 Corinthians 12 fits that category. Not everything, but a lot of it does. And I would argue that there are certain gifts that were unique for the church from the time uh, of the arrival of the Holy Spirit through the completion of the biblical canon. So uh, there were gifts that, that brought individuals the revelation of God. Hebrews 1 verses 1 and 2 talks about God speaking in a certain way, right? It says, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to, uh, to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So the author of Hebrews says, God spoke in a variety of ways in the past, a variety of methods of him getting his revelation to the people. But the author of Hebrews tells us that those methods changed and God spoke through Jesus. Now, how did God speak through Jesus? Well, he spoke physically through Jesus when Jesus was on the earth. God also spoke through the apostles inspired by Jesus, through those connected to the apostles as they wrote down Holy Scripture. The Spirit of God worked through the apostles to carry them along to write Holy 
perfect, authoritative scripture. In Revelation 22, 18 and 19, there's a passage that is focused on the book of Revelation, but really covers the fact that the last of the canon is being written. John writes, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Now that the Holy Scripture is completed, you guys understand, don't you, that there are no books of the Bible being going to be added on, right? It's done. God finished His Word. Now that Scripture is completed, there is no longer a need for the kind of revelatory gifts that were active in the first century. And for those gifts to be active today, if God were speaking things that were authoritative revelation today, that would, that would be telling us that Scripture isn't quite complete. It would be telling us that God could speak something that's as big as the Bible. And if Scripture is incomplete, if we leave the door open to that possibility then it doesn't make sense for God to be warning people don't add to it. So I would suggest to you that the gifts that included people getting new words from God, new revelation from God, those gifts have ceased with the closing of the biblical canon, with the closing of authoritative scripture. Now, some people would argue that, well, God could still be speaking divine revelation, just not on the level of Scripture. And I've heard people say that. Good people say that. But I just want to ask you this. Is it possible for God to speak with anything less than absolute perfection and total authority? What do we call it when God speaks with absolute perfection and total authority? Scripture. If God were to speak with less perfection or less authority, God would be speaking as someone less than God, and that's not how he works. Now, we also know there's some other gifts, though, out there, some particularly bold, miraculous-looking gifts. Think about the way the apostles could heal and cast out demons as examples, right? I mean, those guys were doing some wild stuff, weren't they? Miracles like those were signs that, well, Jesus performed several of them, And Jesus used those miracles to attest to his identity as the Son of God. And then in the book of Acts, we see that those same kinds of gifts were apostolic signs. They were gifts that God gave during the time before Scripture was completed to bear witness to the truth of both who Jesus is and to the fact that the apostles indeed communicated the Word of God. Listen to some of these scriptures I'll give you. In Acts 2.22, miracles attest to Jesus. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. Jesus was attested to by signs and wonders. Then later, the apostles. Verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The apostles were doing signs and wonders attesting to the fact that they were the apostles, that they were carrying the authoritative revelation of God before Scripture was complete. 
2 Corinthians 12, verses 11 and 12 say the same thing. Paul says, I've been a fool, you forced me to it. I ought to, be of commend, ought to have been commended by you, but I was not at all inferior to these super apostles. They were false apostles, people claiming apostleship. Paul says, even though I'm nothing, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So why did Paul do signs and wonders? To attest to the fact that he was an apostle with the authority to speak the clear word of God. One more, Hebrews 2, verses 3 and 4, and I'll be done with this soon. The author of Hebrews says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. While the apostolic sign gifts, the gifts that, that, sh- that uh, an apostle could do under the Spirit of God, while those gifts were wonderful, they were helpful in the first century, friends, there are not apostles anymore. Not formally. An apostle was a person who saw the resurrected Jesus Christ with his eyes and was sent out by Jesus with a unique divine authority. The apostles were the 12 plus Paul. The apostles were men who carried the gospel and wrote the scripture. And when they died, those men in that office were not replaced. And if there are not apostles in the formal sense, neither would the apostolic gifts be active. God used those gifts to affirm for people to see who it was that had the authority to write down his inspired word. But now that the word of God is finished, complete, perfect in every way, the apostolic gifts also have ceased. So I would say that you should not expect to get a gift from God like supernatural healings on a big mass scale, right? Revelatory prophecy, Speaking in tongues, which is the gift of being able to speak a a language that really exists, but you don't know it. Now, am I saying that God may not heal a person? No. But I'm saying none of us are going to have the apostolic gift of healing, the ability to walk and heal in a big, bold, public way, seemingly at our will, to show off the power of God. That was for the apostles. Even before the scripture was complete, the sign gifts were occurring less often. You guys remember Paul, right? Remember the Apostle Paul? I'm just checking to see if you're awake with me. Are you still with me? Remember him? Did Paul have the gift to heal from time to time, right? Eutychus fell out a window because Paul preached too long, and Paul picked him up and healed him and got back up and started preaching again. I admire Paul. But in 2 Timothy 4.20, Paul says, I left Trophimus who was ill at Miletus. Now friends, if Paul was gifted to be able to heal at will, that was not a nice thing for Paul to have done. I think it makes more sense for us to understand that the gift that God used to attest that Paul is an apostle was not a gift that would remain. Again, if you don't agree with that, I, I don't want to fight about it. I'm just telling you, this is the conclusion that I've come to studying spiritual gifts. I think it's biblical. I think it's helpful. 
Now, if I don't think, Travis, if we're not going to get the the apostolic sign gifts, and if we're not going to get the revelatory gifts, what kinds of gifts are we going to get in the church? Well, there's a whole lot of gifts that are still active. There's a whole lot of gifts that have to do with leaders in the church. We see that in verse 11 of Ephesians 4 in the latter half of of 1 1 Corinthians 12. But when you think about your gift, your personal spiritual gift, who you are, what you have, the unique blessing God gave you so that you can help the church, and you don't think that you're called to be a pastor or a big-time church leader or teacher or whatever, the list that you see in Romans 12 is probably the most singularly helpful list you can find. So let's flip there, if you would, to Romans 12, verse 6. Romans 12, 6 through 8. Bless you. Paul writes, I hear you flipping still. All the iPhone people were there like 30 seconds ago. (laughs) Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You want to guess what I would say the only gift in that that list is that you might question if it's still working today? Which one? Prophecy, right? Prophecy. And it really depends what does Paul mean here with the word prophecy. If the word prophecy means the receiving of and communication of prophetic revelation, new words from God for the people, I would argue that that gift is not active. But if Paul here means a gift of supernaturally blessed understanding and communicating the word of God with spirit-aided clarity and power and conviction, then it would apply. And there's reasons to see prophecy as kind of aiming that way in a list like this. But let's look at the seven things listed here in Romans 12. Each of those things that is listed is akin to a personality trait, But they're all more than that. Each item points to ways in which God might uniquely shape a believer to best be used in the body of Christ. So the one with a prophetic gift, like I said, that could be a person who understands the word very well and communicates it with convicting clarity. You know, the prophets in the Old Testament, when they spoke, they understood the word and they made it clear to the people in a powerfully convicting way. If that's what we're talking about, some people have that gift. The one gifted in teaching might be a person who's less emotionally impactful, but man, are they gifted at studying and reading and writing at a depth that feels beyond the ordinary. Have you ever met a person that you're like, okay, you bore me to tears, but holy cow, do you know stuff? (laughs) There's a gift of teaching right there, folks. Maybe. Maybe. The one gifted in exhortation might be the kind of person that can really encourage you toward growth. They they, they just, for whatever reason, when they tell you, here's how to get stronger as a Christian, you hear them and you're like, yes, sir, I'm going. Maybe there's a person gifted to serve. They might uniquely be gifted and wired just to 
to give of themselves tirelessly, and they love to work behind the scenes. You know any people like that? Right? Some people, some people may have the gift of giving, and that may be that they're able, especially good at making money, and they love to give their resources to other people. It's bad, by the way, if you've got the gift of giving and you're not good at making money because then you're just poor. Uh, <laughs> the one gifted to lead might have a unique ability to organize other people and motivate them to follow that is just uncanny. Now, here's the thing. Here's how you know if you've got a gift of leadership. Does anybody go where you go? If they won't follow you, if you can't motivate people to, do, to follow you, you're not a leader, Right? <laughs> What is it? If, some, if, someone, if someone leads and no one's following, they're just taking a walk. <laughs> a person gifted with the gift of mercy might be a person granted by God a unique empathy, a unique caring that offers sweet comfort to the hurting. Think about it. When your soul hurts, can you think of a person in this church like, that's who I want to talk to because they will love me. There's a mercy gift. Now, With that said, here's what I also want to tell you what I think about this list of gifts. I do not believe that these gifts are your particular gift as labels. I think these are more like categories of gifts than they would be your particular gift. It's not like a Christian is only a leader or only a giver or only an encourager. In point of fact, God shapes each believer uniquely. John MacArthur, he illustrates this, and I really like his illustration. He says that he thinks the gift categories here that you see listed in Scripture, they're like colors on an artist's palette. And God might blend any number of those colors on one brush so he could paint with a unique hue. So I want you to imagine Christian man maybe he is gifted to a degree in service, right? This is a dude who is eager to help, He shows up early, he helps set up, he stays late and he tears down, whatever, right? He's the kind of guy that would come fix your sink. He's the kind of guy that would hang a picture for you. Maybe it's the kind of guy that has no desire to stand in front of you and teach. But maybe that person has a really great gift of study and learning in private or in one-on-ones. Well, what gift does he have? It doesn't fit any category completely, but as a blending of greens and blues can come together to give you the color of the water in a particular part of the ocean, that man has a unique gift, a unique blending of graces from the Spirit of God. His gift is not just his personality, though. His gift is something from the Spirit of God that takes his personality, his skills, his desires, his abilities, and it empowers them for the good of the local church. Now, because I say that our gifts are not simply personality traits, right? Because your gift is not just one category and not the other category, that's why I'm not a huge fan of of the spiritual gift inventory quizzes. If you don't know what I'm talking about, a spiritual gift inventory, it's a little test. It's like a personality indicator test. You ever take the Myers-Briggs? It's like one of those things, right? What it does is it just gives answers in the language of, of spiritual gifts instead of pop psychology. Now, I don't think that those inventory tests will hurt you. 
If you needed help to get started and have no idea what you might be gifted in, maybe it'll help you to learn something about your personality and your shape and the way God has made you. But I don't think those tests ultimately take you very far. So here's the question. You're still awake with me, by the way? Again, without multiple points, I I scare myself because I don't know if you're paying attention or not. Half of y'all could have left. I wouldn't know. Well, some of you are loud. I know when you leave. But how do you discover your gift? If the test won't do it, if I can't go to the internet and click a box down the list and then it tells me my score, how do I know my gift? First, pray. Don't you think that makes sense? Talk to the God who gave you your gifts and ask him to help you to understand what it is he did. God, what were you doing when you made me? But I would also suggest that you think about what are the kinds of gifts that are listed in the scripture. Romans 12, especially. Look at yourself. Examine how has God uniquely shaped you in your growth in the faith. It it also might be helpful for you to talk to another believer who knows you well. How many of you, brothers and sisters in Christ, are in a fellowship group? Far more of you should have said yes than that. Shame on some of you, and some of you are just too quiet. But, (laughs) I'm teasing. If you're part of this church, I want you in a fellowship group. The elders want you in a fellowship group. It's not because we want to boss you around. Some of us like that, but that's not the reason. It's not because we want to bring some sort of extra thing for you to do. We believe it is good for the body of Christ for you people to get together and know each other more than on a Sunday morning, and this is a great way to do it. Now, if you've got believers who know you or you're getting to know in these fellowship groups, ask them, what do you think my gifts might be? People see you better than you see you a lot of the time, right? So ask, what do you think my giftedness might be? Might be. Ask another believer who knows you, hey, what is the thing I've done in the church or what's the thing that I've done in your life that was uniquely helpful or encouraging? Have you ever seen me do something helpful? What would it be? Think about what you have done in the church where you know God used you to bless or care for or love or grow others. Think about how has God used you to comfort people? How has God used you to encourage people? How have you been able to communicate truth to other people or meet the needs of other people? Start looking at your life and try to figure out what's a word to describe what it is when I've been the most useful. Another thing to bring to the table here as you think about your spiritual gift is this. In the church, when you're helping, when you're serving, which by the way assumes that you are serving, when you're serving, What do you love doing? See, you're not going to have a gift and hate it, right? That wouldn't make sense. Oh, man, I got mercy. (laughs) That's not going to happen. Mercy people like it. Which is why I don't get them. But I love them. I'm glad they're here. What you love in the church, what you enjoy doing, what rings your bell, what feels natural to you, what's the thing you can do in the church that is easy for you but hard for other people? You 
know, guys, and again, I'm not trying to be weird here, but do you know that standing up here and talking to you doesn't scare me? Now, don't get me wrong. Opening the word of God has a terrifying weight of importance on it. But God has shaped me to be able to talk to you and hopefully communicate with clarity and hopefully keep your attention for at least a third of the sermon. And it's not hard. That's easy. I I like doing it. It's weird. So I know there's some sort of weird giftedness going on there, right? Because I enjoy it. Some of you say you're benefited by it. The rest of you don't talk to me about it. And, and, And the Lord uses it. And, and for some of you, you're like, oh my gosh, if you asked me to come up there and even read a verse of the Bible, I would die. That's not your gift. That's how we learn, right? What's easy for you, but feels difficult for others. You know, honestly, folks, the best way for you to know how you are spiritually gifted is for you, get this, write it down. How do, you, how do I know I'm gifted? How do I find out? Start serving others. Underline it. Put an exclamation point behind it. That's how you find your gift. Start doing something. Do things with other people in the church where you try to help. You might find out that though you know your Bible, communicating your Bible in a study is not your thing. And y'all feel like that's you, by the way? I know the Word of God, but when I try to talk to other people, it just comes out all squiggly. Okay. Public teaching is not your gift. But you might find out that I know my Bible and when I talk to a hurting believer quietly, one-on-one, I can bring the word of God to bear in such a way that they are encouraged and they are challenged. Well, what gift is that, folks? It could be exhortation. It could be, again, prophecy, depending on how you define prophecy. It could be mercy. You know what? I don't care what the label is that you use. That is you using the word of God to help people in the way God has gifted you. And when you find out what your gift is, if it's something like that, let the elders know. We would love to be able to help to connect you to other people. We'd love to help you make yourself available to other people. If that's your gift, by the way, start studying biblical counseling with greater depth because you then can be equipped by God to use your gift better. Now, you might find out if you try to serve, man, you are good at when a task needs to get done. You're good at seeing the steps, laying them out, and and helping people get to them and get them done. You might find out that for whatever reason, whenever you say, we should do this, then this, then this, then this, they hear you, they understand it, and they follow it. There's a leadership gift. There's an organizational gift of some sort, right? Great. Don't worry about the label. Just look for a way to use the gift to help the body. You might find out if you think about your life, you've got a unique ability to strike up a conversation with a stranger and have it lead to the gospel. I know about two of you that I believe have that gift. I could be wrong. There may be more of you. But by the way, don't those people just drive you nuts? We love them. We do. Listen to me, folks. That's a gift. Is it not, folks? Is that not a gift when you see somebody who can just walk to Jesus from any conversation point? That's a gift. There are other believers who pray and squirm and try and try and try to get to the gospel in a conversation, and they just, 
it just feels awkward and terrifying. So know that you're gifted by God. And then what do you do? You use that gift. You help other believers to have gospel conversations with their friends, with their family members. You help the church take the message of Jesus into the community. That's what you do. Don't assume it's ever going to be as easy for other people as it is for you. Don't assume that other people should share in your style or your eagerness. Just share the gospel. Help other people do it too. That is a gift of evangelism of some sort. Again, I don't think the label matters. The practice is very important. Christian, you have a gift. It is a grace given to you by Jesus. It is for the good of the church, and you should be grateful to God for it. You should work to figure out what it is. You should not neglect using it to help or to teach or to encourage or comfort other people in the church. Your gift is a thing God wants to use to make this church a more God-glorifying people. I do not think your gift has to have a particular label, teaching but not exhortation, right? I think your gift is going to be a blending of the kinds of things we see listed as gifts, and they will be unique to you. But here's what I know for sure. God intends that you use how God has shaped you and gifted you to help people in the church to love Jesus more. Do you hear me there? So whose job is it to help this church love Jesus more? Thank you. Three of you got it. One, two, three. Pray, Christians. Ask God to give you better opportunities to serve. Don't assume, by the way, that a service opportunity has to be assigned to you by the elders in a formal capacity. Don't assume that your only service has to be in front of a room or it doesn't count. Don't assume that it has to be that you're given a job or a position of authority. Just love Jesus and start helping others in the church. Reshape your life to help other people in the church. And the more you do it, the more you do the thing that gives you joy, the more you do the thing that helps other people, the more you will know what is your spiritual gift. Now, because I've been doing the pastor thing for more than a few years, I also know some of the things that some of you are thinking right now. I'm not even clairvoyant. Some of you are thinking, I have no idea what my gift is at all. Some of you are thinking, you could never find a place to serve in the church. There's just no place for me to serve. You might say, well, there's no position in the church that fits my personality and my skills. Be careful there. Jesus Christ has gifted you. Christ intends that you make the church better. Don't give up until you find a way to do so. And don't feel sorry for yourself if your gift is not a, an attention-getting gift. One last caution I'll give you. Having a gift or lacking a gift does not excuse you from godly behavior. Okay? Just because you think you're gifted to speak with the boldness of a prophet does not excuse you from the call to speak the truth in love. Just because you think you lack the gift of evangelism does not excuse you from the command to share your faith. A gift of mercy does not excuse you from speaking hard truths to people. Find friends, know your gift, and let it help you find the sweet spot of ministry for you in the church. 
It's going to help you help others. It's going to help you honor Christ. It's going to help you know where you are most productive. It's going to help you know where you might need greater help. That's what finding your gift does. If you know what your gift is, with or without a label, awesome. Get after it and make this church better. Yes? If you don't know how God has gifted you, pray, start looking to figure it out. Talk to other people. Find ways to serve. See what God does with you. If you're not using any of your gifts to make PRC stronger as a church, you're not fulfilling your responsibility as a member of the church. Do you guys buy that? Again, two of you do. Do the rest of you buy that? Okay. Repent if you're not. Seek ways to serve. And if you're hearing all this this morning and you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know what they're talking about because you're not a fam- part of the family of God. Maybe you don't have Jesus in your life. That sounds confusing as anything to you, and I get it. Let me just say this to you. The first step for you in becoming what God would have you to be is for you to find the grace of God. See, you and I need the mercy of God to start with. We are sinners. We need the forgiveness of God. And the only way to be forgiven is to come to Jesus in faith turning from sin, asking for his grace. Jesus died to save us from our sins, and Jesus rose from the grave to give us life. So I urge all of you who may not know Jesus, if there are any of you here, come to Jesus, find life in Jesus, and let him gift you to be a part of his church for his glory. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you again for your word, and thank you for gifting us uniquely as believers. Lord, fact is, I don't know, there's a lot there that we need to grasp. There's a lot there that we want to try to get right. My heart here, Lord, is that you would take this topical walk, very unusual for us here, through this concept. I pray you would take it and use it to spur this body on toward greater love, greater helping of one another, greater fellowship. God, make us, make make every person, I pray, who's part of this church, not sit still until we know how better to help. Now, God, for, for some moms with kids, The use of their gifts is going to be primarily love their husband, love their little ones, and try to survive. But even those ladies, even those moms can encourage others, and they can let themselves be encouraged by others. For others, they're super, super busy. Help them to prioritize time to be in better relationship with more people in the body to see that PRC grows and is better. God, grow our church and bring us to unity for your glory. That's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.